This made Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people and even eating with them. So Jesus used this illustration. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others, go and search for the lost one until you found it? And then would you joyfully carry it home on your shoulders? When you arrived, would you call together your friends and neighbours to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found? In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. Or suppose a woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house, sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, will she call her friends and neighbours to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin? In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when even one sinner repents. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man has two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. <clears throat> a few days later, his son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. But the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding his pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have, enough, have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf. We have been fattening in the pen. When We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. It was longer than I thought, but you read it brilliantly. Uh, and, uh, and thanks again. So, Bernice, uh, let's just pray to you as we listen to Bernice. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a light to our feet, um, and that, uh, that it's so readily available to us. Uh, be with us, Lord, as um, we, we seek your voice, as we look upon the words and hear from Bernice, um, uh, to be inspired and encouraged and, uh, and moved on in our relationship with you. Amen. Thanks, John. Thanks, Hannah. Uh, thank you for beautifully reading the passage. Much appreciated. Um, uh, David, if we could have the, the beginning of the PowerPoint, that would be lovely. Thank you. Um, so today I'm going to be talking on the theme of lost and found um, from Luke 15, touching on all three of these parables um, and perhaps uh, seeing what God has to say to us today. Um, 
And so just a couple of questions to start with, and you might want to put on the chat and think through these as, as uh, we start. So what have you lost in lockdown? And what have you found in this time of lockdown? What have you lost and what have you found? And you may want to be on the chat. Um, uh, you may want to just talk through so these two questions um, and just add those to the chat as we go through. Um, so I, I have lost weight in uh, lockdown, which is quite handy due to health, kind of pre-diabetes and uh, um, high cholesterol, things like that. So that's been a really good thing. Um, but very much uh, lost meeting with friends and church and family. Uh, but what have I found? Kind of time, uh, recreated re some time, um, contentment over small things of life. Uh, the love of walking, as some of you might know, I've, I'm doing this one million steps challenge over July, August, September. So I've done 426,000 steps so far since the first day in July. So um, I, I found a real love of walking, which I guess I've always had, but um, rediscovered. Uh, I like the fact that the Tyndales have said we've lost our sanity. <laughs> So I think there'll be quite a few things lost and found. You might want to add those, as I say, to the chat as we go through. Um, I came across this lovely story, a uh, friend from uni, um, James. Uh, I was talking to him this week. And um, this this lovely story, David, if we could go back just uh, uh, in the PowerPoint to the picture um, of the two sisters. Um, and um, so two sisters who had lost each other in Nebraska um, came across each other 50 years later. So this was in Nebraska, um, and they, the two sisters had been looking for each other for 50 years. They only knew each other's names. They had the same dad, but had been born about 20 years apart. Um, and so one of them, Doris, been brought to hospital after a fall and battle with COVID and her sister Bev actually worked at the hospital recognized the names and after realizing after talking realized that they were sisters um, and uh, sort of rediscovered each other isn't that amazing 50 years later they realized they were sisters and rediscovered each other at that hospital so as I say lost and found we're going to think about these three parables as we go through um, a few lost and founds. John's lost track of time. Paul's found the weight I've lost. <laughs> um, lost, yeah, we've lost colleagues who've been made redundant. Um, and uh, Jill's just put singing in a live choir. I found the self-isolation choir, the joy of singing with people. So finding the joy of singing with people all over the world. It's lovely. Thank you. So... I'm going to talk through, as I say, these three things that were lost and found. And we're told right at the beginning of the passage that um, the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. And they were grumbling that Jesus had eaten and received and spent time with sinners. So why were they so bothered with this? So again, just on the chat, perhaps put, why do you think the scribes and the Pharisees were so bothered about Jesus eating and spending time with sinners? The scribes were a group of Jewish leaders who were clerks or clerks, whose function was to copy for royal and sacred manuscripts. The Pharisees were members of a party that believed following legal traditions, uh, that believed in following legal traditions that were the tr traditions of the fathers. Like the scribes, they were also well-known legal experts, hence the, the overlap. Uh, so some people were scribes and Pharisees. Um, so why do you think they were bothered by Jesus meeting with people who they felt he shouldn't do? 
Any any thoughts on that, anybody? So why didn't the Pharisees like Jesus eating with sinners? Um, I'll just give a couple of seconds and then I'll give you my thoughts. Yeah, scared of losing control. Yeah, thanks, Tina. Yeah, I think there was very much that fear of, um, which we sort of, sort of see, you know, much more later with Jesus um, being arrested, that fear that the authorities were frightened of losing control. Um, any other thoughts? Why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus eating with sinners? Yeah, they thought he was sullying himself and being impure. So they thought uh, it was sort of, you know, sort of the, the, the holiness, that it was somehow sullying the holiness that he brought. Yeah, Tyndale's because they were considered un unholy. Absolutely. Similar sort of thoughts. Any other thoughts before I sort of move on and sort of give you an idea? <laughs> Still, uh, Claudie's putting on a bit about peace, uh, joy of peace and quiet. Yeah, they didn't want their religion being brought into disrepute. They felt that possibly that that was bringing that religion into disrepute. And it was hard for them to accept people below them. It was hard to accept that everybody was entitled to the same with God. Yes, we'll, we'll particularly find that, I think, as we go through the passages as well. So, um, you know... Yes, and absolutely that he was doing what perhaps they should have been doing as well. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at the Pharisees and the scribes in the Bible, they often like the, the finest place of the banquet. They often feel felt they had quite a lot of status within society. And perhaps they felt upstaged by Jesus. Uh, they felt they were superior to others and they wanted to restrict um, what was going on and perhaps wanted to keep out who they saw as undesirables. They were experts at the rules and regulations, and they often concentrated on external sins rather than actually the inner motivations of the heart. And we, as we know, Jesus was often able to see the inner motivations of all he came to contact with. So the first parable um, looks at a lost sheep. Um, and I'm sure most of us here have had some, some occasion where we've lost something. And the more precious that thing is, the more concerned, the more frantic we become and the more frantically we look for it. And if we think about that lost sheep away from the flock, it was very risky for that lost sheep. You know, he would, he would have lost protection. He would be vulnerable to being attacked by a, a predator for food. So what does the shepherd do with that lost sheep? Well, he leaves the other 99 and he goes and finds the sheep and he's very overjoyed to find it. He throws a party to celebrate and Jesus says there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So was it wise for that shepherd to leave um, the 99 and search for the one? Could something have happened to the 99 while he was away? Um, should you know suppose we put ourselves in the place of that 99 would we consider the shepherd as pursuing the unworthy and not looking after us the 99 and yet does the parable also tell us something about the worth of each sheep and perhaps if we were one of that 99 and we were worried about getting lost in the future perhaps we would have faith that the shepherd wouldn't just leave us but would come and look for us individually and call us by our name. The second parable is a parallel of the first. A woman loses a silver coin, an estimated day's wage. She thinks it must be here somewhere and it looks like it gets dark and she lights a lamp and is successful and finds it. 
And this parable stretches that the, the physical search. It, it stresses the, the sort of search that goes on, perhaps emphasizing a seeking and loving God who will keep searching for those he loves. She finds it and again is overjoyed and has a party. So there are some similarities between these first two parables. Both include the following. A celebration of being found. There is great joy in finding the lost object, the coin and the sheep. Both talk about not sinfulness, but of being lost. They mention, uh, they don't mention the sinfulness of person or the people. They don't mention how the sheep or coin went astray, but they mention the, the, the sort of the, the, um, the, the situation of being lost. They both mention that the owner seeks the loss persistently and that there is much rejoicing in heaven in terms of the salvation of, of the, the, the rescue of the lost thing. And what they both do is talk about men or humans seeking lost things rather than perhaps a picture of God seeking after humans. He compares the love for that which is lost in Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees' compassion is misplaced. Were they unable to have compassion for those who were lost? Were they unwilling to associate with them and see the possibility of joy at their repentance? Why were the Pharisees unable to rejoice at their repentance and offer this to others? And it just really struck me, what does this mean for us and for me today? Who are the Pharisees and the scribes of the day today? What does this mean for what we invest our time in, our church activities, our budget? Is 99% dedicated to the never lost or the lost? Are we forgiving and inclusive to all? And Jesus involves himself with sinners and very much says that all his disciples should do so too. Sinners should know that God searches for them constantly. The third parable, perhaps the more well-known one, more elaborate parable, is actually unique to Luke. And it's the story about a father searching for the son who is lost and the older brother's reaction to this. The younger son, we're told, wants his inheritance early, which could result in dividing the estate, which was normally passed on from father to son, and was unheard of before the father dies. The younger son squanders all he has given, and his life is so bad, he ends up with the worst job of all, looking after the pigs. He is hungry and has no support. This mirrors the lostness of the sinner, to be outside the protection and love of the father, and to be left in a lonely and desperate situation. The son had wanted to be in a position where he was self-sufficient. He could manage his own goods, time and life as if it was solely his. And ultimately, we know none of us can be in that position. Everything is in God's control and within his boundaries and his time. The younger son, things get so bad that he decides he will confess his sin to the father and expresses his humility and rely on his father's mercy, not expecting anything, but sort of thinking, I've got to the bottom. There is nowhere else I can go. The father is looking out for him and runs to him which again would not have been seen in this sort of time. And the son starts to sort of confess, but the father stops him and restores him to full sonship and starts to organise an amazing party 
because the younger son is restored. But we know that the other part of the story is the brother is enraged to hear the party going on. He's hearing this party going on inside and the person on the inside, the older brother, is now on the outside and the brother on the outside is now inside. The father comes out to the angry brother and tries to calm him down. This isn't fair, the brother says. The older brother is very self-righteous and has no joy at his brother coming home. The father acknowledges all that he has. You know, all that, you ha all that I have will be yours. There is no reason for jealousy. You know, we need to celebrate because we thought that your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is now found. And as I talked about a bit earlier on in the context of this parable, we can presume that the scribes and Pharisees who've been criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners would understand that Jesus was painting them as the older son. The older brother had always remained faithful and obedient to his father and worked hard. He says, I've worked hard for you, but no banquet has been given. Perhaps he's looking at gaining salvation by working hard. And he says, you have rewarded the younger brother for sinning. He resented the grace that was offered to the younger brother. He was saying, well, I've never disobeyed you. I've been perfect. And God's answer is, you are blessed. You were in the presence of me all the time. And all I have is yours. But that doesn't seem to be enough. The Pharisees would have seen themselves as the ones who were okay. They'd always been obedient to God. They'd followed all the regulations to a T. However, had they forgotten the gift of grace that was on offer, uh, available to all? And if we forget, forget that gift of grace that we've received, we also become liable to be that older son. We risk turning our obedience and faithfulness into something derived not from love, but from obligation. And we miss out on the joy and celebration of the gospel. We miss out on the big party that is thrown in celebration. So in terms of sort of three key things really then about the third parable. Firstly, it doesn't minimize the sin of the younger son. Jesus did eat with sinners, but never minimize their sin. Repentance begins with seeing the reality of your situation and recognizing that things need to change. Seeing your actions as harmful against God and against those people you are in contact with. The son doesn't make demands or expect anything, but is humble and repentant. Secondly, the father's inheritance is for all. It is on offer to all of us. God's love is there no matter what we have done and no matter what stage of life we are in. And it's on offer for the older and the younger brother. And thirdly, God pursues sinners. As a community, we should have joy when somebody comes back to knowing their Heavenly Father. And what is our response to a sinner coming back to God? Do we rejoice at this? So we know that the younger and the older brother and us, we are all sinners. The Pharisees are the people that Jesus ate with. But perhaps we tend to look at external criteria rather than the inner motivations of somebody's heart. We know the obvious is wrong, murder, stealing, lies, etc. 
But what is in our hearts about those people around us that were lost as we once were? That annoying neighbour who is really noisy. That frustrating co-worker isn't helpful and makes life difficult. That family member that just drives you mad. Do we want them to know who Jesus is? If Jesus is sitting down to eat with them and spend time with them, would we be thinking, why isn't he sat with me? Why is he spending time with someone like that? And this verse just really spoke into this, which is from Romans 3, Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Although I thought I would, thanks David, I thought I would be majoring on the love of God, seeking the lost in this chapter. I hadn't bargained on the challenge to me about my love for the lost. And am I doing what I need to do about seeking the lost? But fundamentally, wherever we are on our journey of life and faith, all of us have a certainty of a Father God who loves us very, very much. And I think that's a really good place to end. I came across this video that just speaks of the Father's love. Uh, it's only three minutes and just sums that up. And Dave's going to show that in a minute after I pray. Um, but Lord, we just thank you for the Father's love. We thank you that you love all our children, that you love us all as your children, that you don't just wait and watch, but you seek us out, you search for us, and your love is the only home that we need. Help us to have that same heart for those around us who are lost.